Thanks for listening. And in this episode, I'm going to do spot reviews. That is short, pithy reviews of several of the published Octum Cthulhu adventures. This episode, obviously, then, is primarily for GMs. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. might be wondering why I said I in the intro. Well, sadly, Chris is sick. Uh, so Chris is laid up and resting and not in any condition to do an episode. And I'll tell you that one of the challenges of running a podcast wherein the two hosts are on opposite sides of the planet, um, many hours apart and uh, in terms of like, you know, time zone, and also experiencing like different holidays and time off and things like that is that scheduling can be kind of a bear sometime. And we've done a fine job since last July when the show started, uh, ensuring that we are several episodes ahead. The problem was, though, is that in March and April, he had vacations, I had vacations and other things, and we ended up getting behind or not so much behind, like our back kind of got up against the wall and then we weren't able to record for about two weeks, and then he got sick, so here I am. So what I'm going to do in today's episode is provide some short, hopefully pithy and useful reviews of some of the published Octon Cthulhu adventures. I have run several of them, um, in fact, almost all of them thus far, and uh, I've got some feedback, and I've got some thoughts uh, on them, and so I thought that for the sake of GMs, this would be useful. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and start with the first one that they published as part of the uh, the quick start rules that came out a ways back, and that's a quick trip to France. And this adventure is set to take place in June of 1940. It takes place uh, right before the formal fall of France after Germany invaded in May of 1940, and it involves a group of agents being parachuted into France to uh, investigate some kind of nasty goings-on in a small village where uh, Black Sun troops have arrived and are doing something horrible, big surprise, uh, and abusing the locals and uh, trying to summon up something awful. Again, big surprise. So upon landing in France, the agents have to, in the night, make their way across the French countryside wherein they, uh, they might encounter some German patrols, uh, as the adventure is written, they encounter a, a local, and then they make their way to um, an area where, are, where there's a safe house that the resistance has that they have information about. There they meet a member of the resistance and end up being directed to a, another location where they find a secret entrance into catacombs that lead in under the town where all these nasty things are happening, and that's where they confront the uh, the leader of the Black Sun troops and a particularly awful beastie that this, that this leader has brought along and something that he's summoning. Overall, I think this is a really good introductory adventure to the game, uh, as mechanically and story-wise and the setting. Um, and uh, outside of one change that... And I've run this, by the way, three times... I've run it for three separate groups of people. One at, us at uh, my local store 
for a bunch of folks who had never played the game before. Uh, once during the play test uh, for my then home group, and then again for a different set of uh, of players in my home group. What makes this adventure good is that the writers did not they didn't beat around the bush when it came to getting the player getting the characters right into the action. I mean the 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 opening scene is you know you you have this briefing uh, that that's taking place in your memory in effect and as you're jumping out of a plane into France. So there's no like uh, you know screwing around with kidding up and things like that. It's like you have your stuff, you're jumping out of the plane, here it goes. Um, the the fact that on their way overland to this um, outside of the town and to this resistance safe house and then to this other location, uh, there are there are some events that happen that the characters see, feel, and experience from afar that should lend, if if the GM describes them well, should lend a sense and an air that like something creepy is going on here. So the the arcane, the mythos side of this setting is also put front and center. I'd say about the first maybe third of the adventure is creeping around and gathering some information. And then after that, there are a couple of successive encounters, um, more than likely violent encounters with Black Sun troops and mythos beasties at the very end. So taking the adventure uh, as a whole, you get all the different pieces and parts as a GM or a player that Octoon Cthulhu has to, um, to offer. You have a a Nazi organization that's like deeply into the occult. You have different kinds of troops uh, with different kinds of weapons inside that, operating inside that, that organization that the, the PCs face. Um, they end up in France. The war is going on around them, and yet there's this like creepy mythos side to it. So also the, uh, the sample characters that are provided with a quick, quick trip to France are pretty well uh, representative. Um, you know, you've got, uh, you've got two different characters that use different kinds of magic, and you have three characters that that can do other things, um, and so there's a, a good spread. I mean, they're not perfectly representative of obviously of all the types of characters you could make in Octoon Cthulhu, but they are, I'd say, representative en- enough of the types of um, like archetypal characters you would have or could have in the game that new players um, to it would get a sense of like, okay, like here are the boundaries, here are the limits of this game story wise. So I think that's all really good. Uh, my piece of advice to the GMs, uh, in the adventure, it has the, uh, the characters, they land, that is, they jump in, and then they start navigating uh, across the French countryside, and in scene two of act one, they are supposed to run into a farmer who, um, who gives them some information about like some of the things that have been going on, local German army convoys and, and garbage like that. Um, and then after that, they make their way to the um, the resistance safe house area where they find their their main contact who provides them with the really in the essential information to move the story forward. Uh, I found after the first time that I ran it that 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 it's called, if you have the adventure, it's on page twenty four a farmer's plight um, really was a, a like a time suck and kind of a useless encounter. There wasn't really anything in that encounter that I couldn't provide to them either through, you know, them doing observation roles 
or just relying on their military training or listening or, oh, I have a German patrol ride past them. Um, I I felt like that was something that, that was a, one of those small encounters that didn't really provide a whole lot and gobbled up time. And the one of the things that I liked about this adventure is that you could run this, I think, in a single, say, four-hour-ish session, three and a half to four hours. If you keep the tempo up, if you keep pushing and don't let the players, if you have players who fall into the analysis paralysis trap, um, you just have to keep pushing them. And I found that after I yanked that farmer's plight encounter, uh, it was a lot, it was a lot tighter. After their encounter with and discussions with the resistance member, they will make their way into um, scene three, and that's called the broken truck. And that is where they're going to encounter Black Sun troops and almost certainly get into a gunfight for the first time. This is a great opportunity for you as GM to use threat with the escalation mechanic. Uh, if you look at the um, the different Black Sun troops that are provided in there, they have escalation options where you can spend threat for extra uh, firepower. And um, and I did that. I, I had one of them end up with a flamethrower, and that made things really interesting for the players initially as they, they encountered this, and then even more interesting as they figured out a way to uh, to deal with the guy. So that's a good example of a place where you, you have this story Here's this encounter with these Black Sun troops around this farmhouse that the uh, the characters have been directed to, and you can, you perhaps as a new Octon Cthulhu GM, you can look at that and say, okay, how how do I use threat in an interesting way? How do I enhance the story with this meta currency? And I found that was a a, a really good place, like I said, to use in conjunction with those um, escalation mechanics. From there forward. When it goes into the, uh, you go into the catacombs and then eventually into the area under the chateau where the leader of the Black Sun is and he's summing up something horrible and they're sacrificing people and it's like this cool combination of like awful Conan level sacrifices and Nazis. Uh, it's, a, it's a great scene. That was a, a good, interesting combat scene and I think that given the layout and if you read through this and think about this, I think this will stand out to you. Given the layout of where that encounter takes place, I think that you can really get your head around as a GM and you can help your players get your, their heads around the idea of zones. If they're used to quantified ranges and things like that, like we find in most other games, if you lay out on a tabletop, even like a really shabby map, like you just draw the thing and you give people like dice and like, there's your guy and he, your guy's the die 12 and your guy's the die 8, whatever. Even if you just do that, I think that you would be able to communicate the concept of zones in 2 die 20. Uh, so go ahead and, and I recommend you take a look at the, um, the description of the room where that ritual is taking place. That's on like pages 30, 31, and 32. That's where it's all described in the, uh, the PDF of, of this. And I think you can use that, again, as I said, as an opportunity to nail down this concept of zones um, and also then tie the mechanics to the story um, and, and make sense of that. So, like I said, having run this thing three times, three different groups of people, uh, it's a good adventure. It's a great introduction to the, uh, to the game and the setting. And the pre-generated characters they statted up work really well for it. All right, the next published adventure uh, that shows up 
in chronological order, that is, is Under the Gun, which takes place in England, actually in Dover, and is another adventure I believe that you could run in one session, one three to four hour session. The gist of this story is that the agents are called to the Dover area where coastal defenses are being set up, coastal artillery that is, and during the excavations for one of these sites, a some kind of strange archaeological site or you know ancient uh, ancient site has been discovered and has had some strange effects on the British soldiers. In a nutshell, this site is you know millions upon millions of years old. It is a deep ones related site, and on top of that, some of the locals who live in the town that's nearby this uh, coastal artillery emplacement are. Uh, are like deep one hybrids. And so there are several different sources of challenge and threat to the characters in this adventure. There's the the dig site itself, which will, because of its non-Euclidean geometry, and I guess, uh, you know, the leftover haze of deep one magic will will cause problems for the uh, the characters. Uh, The townies that night will attack, and then um, German troops will also attack uh, while that townie attack is going on. And so there's a, there's a good combination of some investigation and fact-finding early on, uh, some mythos strangeness, and then some fighting at the end. I've run this once, and after reading it and thinking about my group, I didn't see any need to make any changes. And as a matter of fact, I mean, it's, it's a shorter adventure overall than, um, than uh, Quick Trip to France and the other ones that have been published. And uh, it, it, like I said, it's pretty tight. I think as a GM, you have a great opportunity in this one to use the idea of scenes. Um, That is like, okay, this scene is now over. Like we're done and we vault forward several hours or a day or something like that. In this adventure, when the characters show up on site, there will be some time for them to interview people, talk to some soldiers, and if they'd like to uh, actually examine this Deep One's uh, site itself, but the real action starts late at night when the uh, when the townies and then the Nazis attack. And so I think you've got a good opportunity here if you're used to as a GM running games where there aren't clear and explicit scene cuts like, OK, the curtain comes down or we go to commercial, you know, something like that. And now it's several hours later. I think that you could um, you could drive that idea home with this by creating that gap. Like, okay, we're going to end this scene of you guys investigating at the site and uh, where when we pick up, we're, it's going to be you know sometime late at night. Is there anything you would do in between there? Or what, what would happen in between those? And just go around the table really quickly. Um, you can also, much like in A Quick Trip to France, you can make use of and reinforce, if you're going to run this one, say, in sequence with A Quick Trip to France, you could reinforce the idea of zones in combat because uh, there's a lot of open terrain, but then there's also a trench and there is this chamber and there are some, like, I had some gentle hills. Um, there's a lot of space in which the fights will take place. And so helping people understand, like, where are the lim- where's the limits of close range and how is close range different? It's a different quantified distance depending on the qualities of the uh, the location. So like, for example, you know, we, we were able to have a discussion at the table of, 
you know, how, how far away close range is when you're in a trench that's like eight or 10 feet deep and several feet wide versus how far is close range when you're on like a, a, a plateau. So that I think is a, is a good opportunity in this adventure to, uh, to return to some of those ideas that are unique um, mechanically in the system. The next adventure that I've run is Operation Vanguard, which I placed in August of 1940. And there are suggestions in each of these adventures as to when they are, when they should take place per the, uh, the writers. I put Vanguard in August of 1940. It takes place in the, in the Netherlands. And um, this was a good one. This was another really good one. It had, you know, my team of agents returning to the continent uh, sneaking in from a submarine and, you know, rowing on shore, making contact with local resistance members who weren't really all that, like, experienced as resistance members, which I thought was a cool uh, touch. Uh, instead of, you know, the, the, the resistance guy who's got all the answers and knows where all the secret rooms are and things like that, these are, like, resistance neophytes in in something of a a, a back corner of the war. Um and, uh, and I thought that was an interesting way to, to present them, that here, you know, these experienced agents come in and they realize, like, oh, these resistance guys, it's, we can't ask much of them because it's not that they're incompetent, it's just that they're really fresh at this and they're young. Um, again, like, like the previous two adventures, um, especially Under the Gun, there is uh, there's an investigatory phase a fact-finding phase that takes place on the front end of the adventure. Uh, in fact, in this one, you should expect and find ways to incentivize very little action or no action in terms of confrontation with the local German forces. Otherwise, their the agent's cover gets blown. Um, but uh, this one also involves deep ones. And, uh, and I found this was a good follow-up to Under the Gun because then my players and their characters are building knowledge of the various threats they're going to face, like mythos-type threats. Also, what's neat about this uh, adventure is that it introduces the Nachtwulfe. It, inter- it introduces the other Nazi occult outfit that's more like technologically oriented or leaning and, uh, and I thought that that was a good way after two adventures where the Black Sun are front and center as the, the Nazi occult bad guys. You say, wait a minute, but there's this other organization. Now, nothing about their relations or friction with Black Sun is mentioned, but the fact that you, you're queuing up this other threat from the other side is, uh, I think is a, is a good thing. In this adventure, there are, there are three main sites where investigations or action uh, can take place. There is a um, there's a site where the Nachtwölfe had uh, gone after some deep ones and captured them, and this site can be uh, like at night snuck up to and and uh, examined. There are some important things there, so you want to make sure. I mean, if you read through it, you'll see that. But you want to make sure that that your your players have their characters hit all three of these sites. The second site is this lighthouse. Site and then the third and most important of the three, and that's it's where everything comes together is this island that's just off the coast. My players had a good time with this because each of them was able to use different aspects of their character that made their character special. Like one of my characters is a uh, 
she's a she's like a Czechoslovakian spy agent or she's from Czechoslovakia and she's working with the British now and she has all these multiple identities and things like that and she actually bailed the team out of um out of a really tight spot where they were they were detained by the local regular German army forces and she uh she pulled out these these identification papers that said that that she was part of German intelligence not part of these other forces that there was uh she was able to determine there was some friction with uh not the Nachtwolfel folks who had some uh, bad blood with the local German regular army so there was a good opportunity for her to do something very much um like personality and interaction like social interaction based um one of my players characters is more academic and intellectual and examining the the site where the deep one summoning had taken place and examining once they got into the lighthouse uh site examining some of the things that were there he was very useful uh the more action oriented characters uh were obviously useful throughout so What's nice about this one is that I, I found that most any kind of character will find a place to uh, to be useful. One bit of advice I'll share about this one is that it does require a degree of discipline on behalf of the uh, the players in order to sneak around enough in that that first part of the adventure, the fact finding and investigatory side of it. However, once the action starts, it seems to me that there is there's little excuse or a little way to tone it down. So once the once the shooting starts, they have got to they've got to press the attack. Um my uh my players kept things hidden. They they investigated that site, they found out some things. Uh they talked to a creepy old local, found out about this deep ones connection. They went over to the lighthouse site and while they were trying to sneak around, I decided to spend threat and have them get found out. And when the shooting started there, um it didn't stop. Uh they ended up actually cleaning out that site. Uh when you read the adventure if you have it, you'll you'll see that there is a uh, there's an e-boat. There's a, a a essentially like a German style of a PT boat that is involved and uh I had I thought that maybe they would try to lure that to the dock and steal it and then go right out to the island and start, uh, you know, kicking some butt. Uh, instead, they didn't. And so I decided, screw it. I'm going to have this e-boat uh, shoot at them. And so it got away. And um, and hence the, uh, the, the defenders on the island were notified. Something was going on. They were notified about this. After this um, lighthouse encounter is when the German army troops on patrol responding to all this gunfire outside of the village, found them, you know, trying to move along away from the site and arrested them. And then again, this, uh, the spy was able to, uh, to get them out of that fix. And then right from there, they, they took a boat, they stole a boat and they went out to the island. Um, but, uh, but I, I see no way to make sense of a, a return to like non-action once the shooting starts. That said, it it made for a good adventure in that there was this buildup, this gathering of information, this um, fact-finding of the lay of the land and who the enemies are and where they are and what they are. And then once the action started, it went right through and then eventually they... Um, they were able to uh, make contact with their submarine and, and get out. So this one, this one worked out really well. And 
I, I didn't change anything with it. I ran it as written throughout. Now, the next adventure that, that I ran was Operation Wallace. And this is one that takes place back in England, in London, as a matter of fact. And uh, I had this take place in, I think I put it in October of 1940. Not sure if that's exactly where the writers have it taking place. But for my campaign, that's where it fit. And I decided that this made sense as a story to follow up Vanguard because some of my uh, some of the PCs in my game were injured, um, and I thought like, listen, you know, they 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 did an operation in France, then they came back, and then they they did something in England. Then they were sent back to the continent, um, and they were involved in something bigger, and they got a little chewed up at the end, and so convalescent time is necessary. And so what I had them doing is instead of in Operation Wallace, the conceit is that the PCs are uh, are like analysts. They're desk jockeys. They're not field operatives. And yet, something comes up that demands the desk jockeys suddenly uh, jump into action. Well, I, what I decided was that in my Section M, uh, field agents will go do field operations, and then either after field operations or during convalescence, they'll do some staff time, some staff work, so that they can make sure that the things they learned and experienced get shared back to the rest of the, the organization and disseminated out through, throughout it. And so I had them working on this, like this staff phase um, when this came up. Now, I, I like the premise of Operation Wallace uh, because it offers another threat, like local creepy cultists that are mythos-aligned, mythos but don't have anything to do with the Nazis, although this takes place in the backdrop of London being bombed. I thought that was a really clever way to introduce more um, potential adversaries or sources of threat uh, for the, the the players and into stories. Now, one thing about halfway through this adventure that I realized, and I'm not going to go into a ton of detail about this because I think you just need to read it, but... The big problem that I found with this, and this is the first of these adventures where I recognize like this is a problem. The, the players spend a night like driving all around London, investigating all these different sites, and they're picking up clues, and they're picking up clues that then do two things. The clues, as they come together, not only communicate to the players that Something big is going to happen. Something big and bad is going to happen tonight. But where and how and all that. Now, the, the problem with this is that until the players realize that there is a serious time suspense on this, like this is going to happen before dawn, for example. I don't know about you, but uh, a lot of players... They, they, again, they get caught in analysis paralysis. And so what I found was that as my players started investigating these different sites in London, being sent from one place to another, the story slowed and slowed and slowed because every little thing, I have, I have some players that they, they, they just want to investigate things. They want to figure out things and turn things, you know, turn things over in their heads and try to figure stuff out. And Without having the, the, the urgency, the time-related urgency made front and center early, 
by having that urgency emerge along with the information they would need to find and confront this problem worked actually against the sense of tension that this sense of urgency at the table was supposed to uh, to instill. And so if I were to run this again, and, I, and actually I saw this early on, and I thought, huh, this could be a problem. And then when I saw it unfolding at the table, um, I then had them learn some things quickly that enabled them to recognize, oh, crap, like this is going to happen within the next few hours. Like we can't dawdle anymore. We can't turn over every single little thing as we, when we get to each of these sites. What I would do if I were to run this again is that I would make clear there is a the, the first encounter in the uh, the adventure is this house where some of these wackadoo cultists are set up, and um, I would make clear that something big and bad and horrid is going to happen before dawn, and then what it is and where it is and how the the players through their characters might try to stop this that then becomes urgent. And, uh, and I think the story would, would run better. The end of it, by the way, with the, the giant worm monster was really disgusting and, uh, and really wonderful. And so uh, were it not for this one sticking point, I think that it, it, would, uh, it would flow a lot better. The fascinating thing about it, too, is that you know, the, the conceit of it is that it, it's supposed to be for characters that are more, like I said, like desk jockeys, not like ruggedized field agents. And the odd thing is that if you have desk jockeys who are like analysts, you know, maybe the, the assumption of the writers is, well, the analyst, once you put a gun in his or her hand, you put them out in the field, like they get so excited, all of a sudden their analyst brain turns off. And I don't know. Uh, I, I didn't see that happen with my players at all, who, by the way, were using their own characters. Like I said before, the characters who'd been in the field before. Uh, so like I said, I would read through this and seriously consider how do I make the time suspense, the urgency of this night evident right away so that everything else falls within that context. You can constantly remind them like an hour has gone by, another 30 minutes have gone by, you investigated this morning, another 20 minutes have gone by, it's getting closer to dawn, something horrible is going to happen. Uh, that's, the, that's the change I would make in, uh, in Operation Wallace. All right, the next adventure that I put in my sequence is uh, Operation Falling Crystal, which takes place in, uh, in Scotland, or up north towards Scotland. And this adventure, all by itself, is good. It's got some great elements in it. Uh, but if you're going to run it with some of the other adventures, especially under the gun, you might want to change some things. So, Operation Falling Crystal. The high points of it are that it introduces the Mego, so you introduce another creepy mythos species, whatever you want to call them, uh, and and introduces them in a way that presents them as maybe they're an enemy or maybe not, or maybe they're just hard to, to, to categorize like that, and I, I like that. So that introduces something, a, you know, a new dimension to the game, and I'm really glad that uh, Modiphius in their published adventures is is doing this because they're not just like leaning on the Black Sun. They're not just harping on the Nachtwolfe. It's not the same thing all the time. They're introducing these different dimensions which make the secret war of the setting far more interesting um, and far more multifaceted than it might seem at first glance. So that's a good thing. Um, it, But 
But listen here, here's where it gets a little problematic if you're going to run under the gun as well. It takes place at an archaeological site. Now, admittedly, it's not an archaeological site that is stumbled upon uh, alongside um, defensive excavations, but it's an archaeological site. The players, or the characters rather, they will be attacked by a uh, by Migo. They were attacked not by deep ones, but like deep one hybrids. Okay, you know, I can live with that. Um, they will also be attacked by Nazis who come from a submarine, which is, there's a submarine involved and Nazis involved um, in Under the Gun. And it, it just seemed like there were a lot of parallels in the setting. And... Um, and uh, the the like turns of action, like this is what's going to happen, and then here's this thing going to happen, and these are this is this is an attack you're going to experience, and here's another attack you're going to experience. So like under the gun, you have deep one hybrid townies attack, and then right after that, you have black sun troops attack, and one of the guys tries to escape via a submarine. And here in um, Operation Falling Crystal, you have Migo attack and then uh, German submarines attack, and then land a bunch of Black Sun troops. So there are, some, there are some parallel similarities that I was a little surprised by. Again, if you run only one of these, if you only choose one of these adventures to run, it's not going to make a difference. Your players won't know the difference. And in point of fact, uh, my players didn't care. Uh, they were interested, it seemed, in, in uh, meeting this new uh, adversary or potential source of challenge, the Migo, and... Um, and they were happy to go up against the Germans and their their submarines. So it, it worked out well. Uh, just like I said, word of warning that that might be maybe a little too similar for uh, for some groups. You might want to make some changes to that. All right, my final adventure. Uh, my final adventure is the one that I'm running right now that I'm about half done with, and that is the Romanian Imperative. And I have that set in February of 1941. It involves Nachtwilfe. Uh It involves some kind of creepy, probably mythos-related something from the past in a tumble-down castle in Romania, in Transylvania, actually, but not a vampire. Uh, and um, and it includes a Zeppelin. And if you have, like, armored Zeppelins and planes attached to them and uh, Wolf of troops that can fly on little glider things, it really makes me think of, uh, what were those Cobra troops called in G.I. Joe? That Were they wasps? or I don't remember. Anyway, that's what it made me think of. So the adventure's got some cool elements in it, cool kind of pulpy, uh, like two-fisted action elements in it that I, I think work well. The adventure starts off with the characters being uh, flown from England to uh, Belgrade, Yugoslavia, and then uh, brought by a resistance member into Romania by truck, and then they walk overland to this this, uh, secluded village, and then from there they learn vital information that take them, enable them rather, to get to this site where the Nachtwolfe are, surprise, surprise, looking for flower crystal, blue crystal, and they think it's in this, um, these, these catacombs and chambers beneath this tumble-down castle, and it's in this valley, and that's where the Zeppelin is, um, as well as some locals who've been hired as, as workers. There are some good opportunities for social interaction and, uh, and trying to negotiate and get different NPCs to trust you. I think that's a, that's a high point so far. Um, 
a little like in a quick trip to France where there seemed to be some unnecessary um, like travel-related encounters, like the meeting the farmer and his cows in a quick trip to France. There is a, uh, a supposed or a, a suggested breakdown. There's a, the truck that the, the PCs are, are riding in is supposed to break down. And I looked at that and I was like, why? I mean, aside from the fact that it would story-wise make them tired, but if they rest, it doesn't make a difference. Like, there really wasn't anything in that other than it, it just felt like a tedious add-on um, to the story. Like, I don't know if any of you played Pathfinder way back when. Um, I don't play Pathfinder 2nd Edition. I've, I've read parts of it, but I'm talking about 1st Edition. And I remember sometimes in some of the adventure paths, it felt like there were encounters, especially uh, like the second and third books of Adventure Paths, it felt like there were encounters that were there only because the writers were completely wedded to the, the, the idea of, like, you must earn experience points to to level. And the adventure says you're supposed to be at this level by this point. So we can't, we, can, we absolutely can't have story-based leveling. No, 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 no. We're just going to have these, like, stupid throwaway encounters to generate experience, like just jumping through hoops. And, and this broken-down truck... Um, interlude, whatever you want to call it, felt like that. I hand-waved it. I didn't even mention it uh, to my players. It was fine. Really, the, the, the key is with this one, brief them, let them decide on their equipment, get them to Belgrade like immediately, uh, and then have their, their resistance contact, get them to the point where they can, they're going to have to march overland to get to this village, and then they can start social interactions. Now, there are a couple of opportunities for um, interacting with like border guards, you know, maybe create a little bit of tension, like oh, you know, the, the idea that hey, like you know, we're we're going into this this country where that you know it's allied with the Germans, and so we need to keep our eyes open. I think I, I don't think hand waving those would make sense, but I think that those early encounters with the Germans and the border guards, uh, I just wouldn't get bogged down in them because. Uh, potentially, and if you're reading the adventure, I think you'll see this, there are two instances where the party encounters uh, border guards and or German troops. And if you if you decide to make it too much of an encounter, either of those, you can derail the entire adventure. And really, players in this one are not going to want to screw around with like, yeah, our, our adventure like ended with the border guards or, or that's what sucked all the air out of the room. Like, no, they want to go to the valley with the Zeppelin and either blow it up or steal it or something like that. So my suggestion is get through that. Um, the first phase phase of the adventure, the first like scene or so, is really just travel. Get them through those travel steps quickly um, and get them to the village, which is spelled like three different ways in the book. It's like Zoltan and Zoltna and Zoltnra or whatever. Zalt something or other uh, is the village. Pick your spelling and stick with it. Um, they didn't. But uh, I would get them there as quickly as possible and then enable them to get to the valley. Now, it seems that the writers of the adventure made some assumptions upon the character's arrival in the valley of how they would proceed. And the way it's written, it seems like, and maybe your players would do this, mine didn't, but it seems like the writers assumed that the, pl- that the characters would arrive, the characters would go to this cave, and they would then use that as a site from which to to conduct surveillance of this valley where the Germans are, the workers are, where the castle is located near, and where the Zeppelin is. Like, they would look at all these things and get a sense of, like, 
what's the, you know, maybe they'd spend a day or two up there observing because there's a lot of information about like when the German guards come and go and when the workers come and go and the shifts of workers and, and when people come in and out of the Zeppelin and all that stuff. And um, my players did, had no interest. What's, it was actually kind of funny. Uh, they had no interest in waiting around and they, uh, they, they dismissed out of hand the um, the idea of going down and making contact with the workers who are villagers from that Zoltan Zaltra, whatever it's called, uh, village, they decided, well, they're working for the Germans. They must be the enemy. And it seems to me that the writers of the adventure assumed that the PCs would want to go down and talk to them to get all this additional information. So there was a whole lot of information that my players could have gotten that they just completely vaulted over by saying, screw it, let's just get up before dawn and and struggle our way over to the castle ruins because that's where it looks like they're all paying attention. That's what we're going to go find out. And so it was it was interesting to me that they, I mean, I let them, they, uh, they just skipped over some of the scenes and moved farther and then started a big gunfight and now um, now we've gone completely off the script or any kind of suggested script and uh, we'll see what happens in the next session and I'm sure we'll, we'll finish the adventure then. Now that said, there is enough information about how the Germans, what the Germans are doing, the Nachtwolf are doing in this valley, and how they're conducting their patrols, and who does what when, and like, when do people come in and out of the Zeppelin, and the two guys who have the little flying wing pack things, like, when are they available, and things like that. So there is, although I say my players went off the script, they absolutely did, which is fine, I have enough information based on the things they didn't find out to act in a way that I think makes sense for how the story is written and all the resources I need um, for NPC stats and weapons and junk like that, that's all there. So I, uh, I anticipate a, a big, nasty fight. I have no idea how this is going to end up, but, uh, but I expect that we'll be able to finish it in the next session and maybe they'll blow up a Zeppelin, maybe they'll have to run off into the mountains, or maybe, and I think this is unlikely, they will get into the Zeppelin. I have no idea how they'll figure that out if they even want to try, but uh, but it could happen. But uh, anyway, in sum, I think this is this is a good one. And aside from the suggestions that I made of vaulting over or compressing, using again using cutscenes like okay, this scene's over, we're moving forward. Uh, using that approach will keep the um, keep the story going and get them to where the real action is. And the real action again in this is that village. But then the real, real action is in that valley, and you want to get them there with that information from the village as quickly as possible because that's where all the, the fun is going to be. Um, I also have another one of their adventures, the Seventh Inning Slaughter, which is the only one thus far that takes place in the U.S. I've not run that. I'm planning to run that after we do this, and then actually we're, we're thinking of putting aside Octone Cthulhu for a while, playing some other things. But uh, overall, I've been happy with these modules that uh, Modifius has published. They, they have all the stats that I need. They are, uh, they're easy to read. They're, I think they're structured well. And taken together, they present a lot of the different, many of the different uh, enemies or sources of struggle or problems that the secret war of Octon Cthulhu could offer. And I think there's also some great GM inspiration in there. You know, if, if, 
if you dig the idea in Operation Wallace of like threats at home that are maybe trying to just take advantage of the war to achieve their own nefarious ends, you could come up with all kinds of adventures that have nothing to do with fighting the Germans um, in uh, or on the continent. You could just stay in England or go back to the U.S. and do things there. I think that's an interesting um, uh, source of inspiration. And then again, throughout all of these, you know, you've got Nachtwölfe, you've got the Black Sun, you've got the Migo, uh, you have some of the major uh, in-the-book threats presented and used in different ways so that your players and their characters can start to gain knowledge of these threats to then use in future, um, future adventures. So it was actually, it was pretty neat with the uh, Operation Fallen Crystal. When they showed up at the archaeological site, the academic in the group was like, you know, he immediately wanted to make sure, is this a Deep Ones site? I was like, that's excellent. That's a, that's a really cool thing that you've, you've had experience with Deep Ones, your character has, and so you're using that prior knowledge to experience this new adventure. I mean, it turned out to be, you know, the answer was no, but, um, but I think they, they work well together in... In, in providing what I might call like a walking tour of like what are the major aspects, dimensions, and sources of threat in this setting. Um, they, they do that all together. So uh, maybe in the future I will talk up the other adventures. I know there, another one has come out. I don't have it, and I don't remember what it's called, and then there's Seventh Inning Slaughter. So maybe I'll talk about that in the future. I hope this has been, um, been helpful. And uh, thank you, as always, for listening. And hopefully Chris gets better soon and uh, we get back together and we're able to talk about some different things. So have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.